0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of Fast Forward, a podcast from QSR Magazine, where we talk to the founders, innovators, and entrepreneurs at some of the world's most exciting fast casual restaurant concepts. My name is Sam Okus. I'm the editor of QSR Magazine and the editorial director of Food News Media. And on today's episode, we're talking to Brett Schulman. He's the CEO of Kava, an exciting Mediterranean fast casual that is really just exploding all over the country right now, has about 75 locations in the U.S., uh, and is really redefining Mediterranean food for the American public. Uh, Kava has been around now for for nearly a decade, uh, founded in 2011. And, uh, you know, when it came out, it was really at the height of uh, the excitement of fast casual and everybody was really trying to, I think, replicate Chipotle in those days, you know, trying to create this customizable model of, of bold flavors, especially more uh, globally inspired foods. And Kava came out of the gate a little bit different than most. Uh, for starters, it was founded by three childhood friends with Greek heritage who had previously opened a full-service restaurant in Washington, D.C. called Kava Metze. Uh, so it was a fast-casual spinoff of a full-service restaurant, uh, but then also they had experience uh, in the uh, CPG world. So they were they were packaging their dips and spreads for Whole Foods and other stores, uh, and they were, they were getting some brand exposure through that way. Uh, then they had this sort of chef chops in terms of just this high-quality level of food, uh, and then they were packaging that in a fast casual model uh, that was very reminiscent of Chipotle in that you, you go down the line, you build your own meal, um, you pick a base of uh, a grains, greens, uh, pita, you, you put on toppings, proteins, um, but you know, of course, this is is not your average um, customizable, uh, build your own meal kind of fast casual experience. In that, it has you know ingredients that are, are not totally familiar to Americans. So when you talk about something like you know falafel and spicy spicy lamb meatballs, uh, harissa sauce, you know these are things that, especially in 2011, uh, I don't really think were. Uh, certainly that's familiar to most Americans. And, and now we are, here we are eight years later, uh, and, and more people are discovering these flavors and ingredients thanks to brands like Kava. Uh, but you know, Kava, uh, beyond its food, I think is following, um, it, well, it's blazing its own trail. You know, you talk about how it, it kind of, um, has sort of that Chipotle vibe in in terms of building their menu, but has really blazed its own trail in terms of its growth path. Um, launched in Washington, D.C., then jumped across the country and expanded into Los Angeles, uh, and has since been really planting restaurants in all kinds of communities across the U.S., uh, so for a, a, a restaurant brand that is as sort of urban, hip, modern as Kava is, um, you know, they're entering um, smaller markets uh, a- across the country as much as they are entering uh, big urban centers as well. And I think they're really proving um, that this concept is something that works for Americans all over the country, not just young millennials that a lot of brands seem to be targeting today. Uh, but the other way that Kava is really blazing its own trail uh, is is in how it is um, sparking that growth, and I think um, something that uh, was really interesting with this brand uh, last year that caught a lot of people by surprise, or at least um, you know, sort of certainly grabbed the uh, attention of a lot of, of folks in the industry is. Uh, with the help of Panera founder Ron Shake, uh Kava went and acquired Zoe's Kitchen. Uh, you know, of course, could be considered one of its chief rivals. Zoe's Kitchen had grown to about 260 locations in the U.S., um, you know compared to Kava, which at the time was somewhere around you know sixty five seventy locations um you know that <laughs> that got people 's attention and um they acquired zoe 's kitchen for around three hundred million dollars and so now they have all of this uh leverage and uh, 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 certainly the scale behind them to accomplish so much more uh in the u s when it comes to delivering authentic. Mediterranean flavors, uh, to more Americans. Uh, Ron Shake is now, uh, the chairman of the board for Cava, which uh, is is a coup for a brand uh, uh, of cava's size um, because you know that guy he built Panera Bread into the um, you know the titan of the industry that it is today. So, cava uh, is just on this really incredible tear right now, opening restaurants, um, you know, delivering authentic Mediterranean flavors to more Americans, and I think uh, well on its way to becoming a very prominent. Uh, fast casual brand in America, and, and a household name as well. So I was really excited to sit down with CEO Brett Shulman uh, in his office in Washington, D.C. to talk about that growth, uh, talk about where Kava goes from here, what the Zoe's Kitchen acquisition means for the brand, uh, and all things Mediterranean flavors. So uh, with that, we're going to roll into my conversation with Kava CEO Brett Shulman. Okay, I'm here with Brett Schulman, the CEO of Kava. Brett, thank you so much for sitting down today.
1: Thanks for having me, Sam.
0: So, Brett, uh, let's take it back to the beginning of uh, the early days of Kava, back when it was Cava Mete Grill, um, and it was a spinoff of a full-service restaurant from the founders. Um, how, for, I know that you kind of came on board, I think was it was at the second location, is that right? I came on board after the second, right before the second full-service restaurant
1: opened okay, in gotcha. Capitol Hill.
0: Gotcha. So, the fast-casual spinoff, what, what was that process like in thinking, oh, we could do a fast-casual version of what this full-service restaurant is doing?
1: I originally met uh, the guys, was introduced, connected to the guys. um, Ted's cousin, uh, a woman I went to college with, introduced us. And uh, they, at the time, had needed help with a fledgling consumer packaged goods business. So they were uh, making the dips and spreads that they served in the full service restaurants, literally out of the back of the restaurants to start (laughs) after the restaurants closed. And then uh, with a, a customer who they had partnered with, got a small commercial commissary space. And we're making it out of there. They were in about eight local Whole Foods, and the business was struggling a bit, and they asked me to come on board and help, uh, first from a consulting standpoint, and then me and the guys hit it off and uh, talked to me about coming on board full-time, and... um, Talked to the guys about taking what we do in full service and what we were doing in Whole Foods and said, what what about bringing this to a a larger audience in a health-based format? And and Chef Dimitri got very excited and said, uh, you know, I've got this grill menu, but it's very much like the street food we would eat when we go back to Greece in the summers. Mm -hmm. But love the idea of leveraging the healthy aspects of the ingredients. And um, we spent about a year and a half, almost a year and a half, figuring out how the food would translate, was working from a, a made to order uh, format in the full service restaurants to uh, more of a, a, a cook and hold format in the assembly line format. And we mm-hmm. opened our first in Bethesda in January of 2011. Wow.
0: So here you are eight years later, incredible growth, Um, lots of evolution, but at the same time, it feels like you guys really have stuck to the core of what came out of that original concept. Um, So talk to me about like, you know, at that time, I think, you know, this was when fast casual was really starting to take off back in 2011, Um, sort of the heyday of lots of brands jumping into this space. It didn't feel like anything like Kava existed at the time. Is that right? Yeah, we
1: were very early on in in the move to Fast Casual, and I think it was the idea of taking what the guys had started, their their origins, the reason that they created that first full-service restaurant in Rockville, Maryland, was to bring the culinary and, and, and way of life of their upbringing and their heritage to a larger audience mm-hmm. and put their modern perspective on it. The guys are all sons of, uh, of Greek-American immigrants, and um, so we're excited to bring that to a larger audience. And and um, really, the the trends were taking hold of um, ingredients that were satisfying, but yet healthy at the same time. And mm. I think that's what's always been such a strength about what we're doing and staying true to the culinary is um, you're not stripping it down or dumbing it down to be better for you. So you can come in, you don't have to make any sacrifices and you can walk out having eaten better uh, and and doing it with, with flavorful Uh, what
0: we like to call mind-blowing meals. Yeah, sure. What was the status of Mediterranean food in general at that time? Because, I mean, you know, the American palate has been evolving over the last 20, 25 years and Mediterranean certainly is not. It's been around for a long, long time, but it feels like uh, things really started to change about the time you guys got into the market. What was the impression on behalf of Americans of what Mediterranean food was?
1: I think it's a couple things. I think, first and foremost, we don't necessarily look at Mediterranean as a bunch of countries on a map. Mm -hmm. We look at it more as a, a way of life, a way of being. And uh, and that kind of goes back to the core of the brand and, and the guy's culture and, and the origins. Ted likes to say Kava's a culture, not a concept. Sure. Uh, and then you, you marry that with a lot of the trends you talked about um, the country 's palates are changing uh, we 're becoming a much more diverse country and as uh, diversity increases, you see people 's palates getting more adventurous and being more interested in whether it 's spicier foods or cuisines from other regions and uh, and just really looking and interested in trying other foods, married with um, cuisine that's that they don 't feel uh, uh, that they don 't regret eating, that yeah. they feel good about eating, and uh, and that actually rewards them uh, from a flavor standpoint as well.
0: Yeah. So when you guys launched kava as a fast casual concept, uh, the customization piece of this is so important, right? So when you walk down the line, you build your own uh, kava bowl. Um, why was that something that was important to you guys in, in developing the menu?
1: Yeah, it, it grew organically in the sense of the ingredients of Mediterranean, the ingredients of the heritage of the, of the guys is lends itself so well to to be able to be customized to anybody 's preferences and well, you know you've, you've seen the growth in people really looking to craft to a, a specific dietary need or or even a dietary restriction where our food allows you to do that without making compromises. Mm-hmm. So being able to put it in this customized format, uh, first and foremost, you can build a meal to your personal preferences. And at the same time, with what Chef Dimitri's put together as a, as a portfolio of ingredients for you to customize, it's hard to screw up your meal, yeah, right? right? Which is which is really important when you have these choices to
0: be able to know and have the confidence that you're going to make a good choice no matter what ingredients you choose that are right for you. So I think that's interesting because like, you think of a Chipotle, for example, when you build your own Meal and black beans. This is something that Americans have known for forever, right? Um, but you know, kava opens up, and you've got spicy harissa, tzatziki. You know, those are those are things that are not as familiar. So, what does that 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 learning curve look like for customers?
1: Yeah, when you were saying that harissa was the first one that came yeah. to mind, it's it's but it's been pretty incredible to see um, how much more uh, people have come to know what harissa is, and and how quickly that's. Uh, whether it's it's because of the Internet or, or access or social media, how quickly and how virally these things, these trends can proliferate and people understand them. But I think the other thing we like to do is have our team members really educate you about them. And mm-hmm. so it, it really forces us to um, have a culture of engagement and, and hospitality with our guests and really help educate them and interact with them so that, um, you know, we're very big in our technology. But we like to talk about using technology to enhance the human. An experience, not replace it. And this is just another opportunity for our team to create that human engagement with our guests.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think was the moment when you really realize, Oh wow, we have a, we have something <laughs> really successful on our hands. Yeah. I, I
1: would say it's, it was when we opened our fifth restaurant. Okay. Um, we, it was about two and a half years in, uh, after our first restaurant and we had opened in a couple different neighborhoods in the DC area. And you know suburban urban we had a, a mall location and the the energy around that opening and the the energy we started to see really Accelerate at all of our locations mm-hmm. and, and the lines of, of our community day. They were building every community day, but that 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 fifth restaurant we opened, we did a lunch and a dinner service where we do our traditional community day and uh, uh, free meal to introduce ourselves to the community yeah. and um, recommend donations, not obligated, but go to our philanthropic partner. We partner with Learning Gardens and uh, just to see the lines around the entire development and the excitement around it and then to see the, the people come back back. Uh, time and time again, after that, we we thought, wow, there's there's we're really we're really filling a need for people. Sure. We're really doing a job for them where people can walk into a kava, not make those sacrifices, and walk out having eaten better.
0: Yeah. So when I think about my kava experiences, I believe my very first kava experience was with you across the street from where we currently are here in Chinatown, and uh, I just remember being blown away by it. wasn't just the food; it was really you guys have put together a package that feels incredibly modern and fresh, and when when I think about it. I think of this popular term that's come up over the last couple of years, which is, you know, lifestyle brand. This is something that kind of fits sort of the essence of the moment, I guess you could say. Um, why was that something that, like, was so important to the branding and, and, and making this something really connecting with especially younger consumers?
1: Yeah, I think, again, it's it's true to the origins of our brand and mm-hmm. why the guys made that first full service restaurant. It's why I joined the guys when, mm. when they had asked me to join them full time and I, I didn't tell them. And I went with my wife uh, to the Capitol Hill restaurant and was just struck by the the inclusivity of the dining room, how happy the team was to be working there, and really goes back to my earlier comment about uh, how we think about Mediterranean being a a way of life as much as a cuisine. Mm -hmm. And so really speaking to a lot of the values in our company. Uh, And so we've just tried to express that through our food, through our physical spaces, and now even through our digital experiences where we can create those deeper, more meaningful connections where people feel like, um, you know, having Kava as a co-pilot in, in their daily life is really helping to amplify and enhance the way they want to go about uh, the way they live.
0: Yeah, sure. So so at what point did you did you guys step on the pedal? I mean, because you realize you got a hit on your hands maybe two and a half years in, and then when was it like, let's go? Well, it's, it's so interesting because after that fifth restaurant,
1: we we took a break for about a year and a half because we really wanted to understand where we were succeeding and where we maybe had opportunities for improvement, thinking about our operations, thinking about our team, uh, thinking about how we did everything. So we we took about a year year and a half off, but then geared up and the the restaurant we ate at across the street, we opened as a a group of three in the fall of 2014
0: Mm. and then started to really ramp up from that point on. Gotcha, and what does that expansion process look like? I mean, you, did you first tap out sort of the the D.C. metro area, or did you guys start to look sort of far and abroad for that for that growth? We stayed focused on the D.C.
1: area for the first few years, yeah. and then we made a, a big counterintuitive move across the country, right <laughs> to California. <laughs> we we like to make things hard on ourselves, but uh, wanted to, to really. Test um, you know, the 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 brand and what we were doing in a in a market that was pretty distant from our home market, and uh, and start to build that. And then we went to New York after that. And and once we had started to establish some of the the bigger market cities, knowing the success we were having in the suburbs in the D.C. area, we wanted to also pursue what we thought were great opportunities in some cities that were maybe a bit underserved, uh, with with fast casual healthier based more adventurous cuisine, and when we were touring the country, uh, looking at all these different cities, it was just so fascinating to see some of the the amazing growth in some of these cities, as well as you know people who were our customers in the existing cities we were in, living in these cities and so that's where we uh, we started planning on going to cities we 're in now, which is Charlotte and uh, Austin, Texas, and Raleigh Dorham. Mm.
0: You know, it's funny, I mean, you know as well as I do, I think most people listening, that uh, East Coast and West Coast kind of feel like two different countries sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. and I know that it must have been a little bit of a culture shock going out to L.A., yeah. as silly as it sounds, but, yes. you know, that's the birthplace of better eating and certainly, yeah. you know, local foods and all of that. And so what was that experience like opening in Southern California?
1: It was challenging,
0: yeah. right? Uh, it was basically
1: like creating a new business 3000 miles from home and I, it, it in hindsight it was really it's really interesting because i think it made us a lot better business and a lot more disciplined and a lot stronger cuz it forced us to really think about how we were going to do this it's like You know, when you're if you're growing up in your home and you move away and you're living on your own, you have to understand how to be more independent and and sustain yourself. And it really taught us a lot about how to operate in a in a a tough competitive state Mm -hmm. uh, that's got a lot of regulatory challenges. And I think we use those learnings to really inform how we expanded to new markets after that in a successful way.
0: So speaking of that, what would you say some have been some of the biggest challenges you guys have faced in your expansion? It's a good question. I think it's really finding the right talent mm. and,
1: and having stable teams. And that's some of the things we've done uh, on the wage side uh, that's really helped to attract that talent is back in 2016. We went to a starting wage of $13 an hour. We're obviously beyond that. And a lot of the uh, the cities we operate in as legislative increases start to catch up. But we enacted a paid leave Parental leave, sick leave, things paid parental and sick leave, other benefits not not just the you know wage rate, but but really holistic benefits to be able to attract and retain the talent to mm. execute what we do and to to take care of our guests. Sure,
0: yeah, and uh, you know it's interesting. I mean, this is a pretty tough time for labor today, and everybody's kind of on the tip of everybody's tongue is that that's the biggest challenge. Uh, how, have you, how have you sort of positioned your brand and your culture to rise above some of those challenges, Has, and does that seem to be working?
1: Yeah, I think making that move back in 2016 really positioned that we built our business model with that in mind. And so as wage rates, wage rate increases took hold in a lot of the cities we were operating in, we were already there or above that. And so it wasn't quite as significant an impact to us Mm -hmm. uh, from an operating perspective. Um, So. We really want to be a place where people feel like they can grow both personally and professionally, you know, grow themselves, not just in our restaurants, but beyond the four walls of our restaurants and that this can be a career for them. A lot of people are are winding up in the restaurant industry and looking to make a career out of it. And we don't want it to just be a job for them. And we know that um, happy team members equal happy customers, which usually equals a happy
0: business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You mentioned some of the markets you're growing in, Austin, Raleigh-Durham, Charlotte. Uh, How would you define the Kava customer? I think it's a customer who's really interested
1: about what they're eating, and they're, they, they, um, you know, they're spending their calories like they spend their dollars, mm. uh, very judiciously. Right. They, they want to get bang for their buck. They want to make sure that they're getting a really flavorful meal, but a, a meal that they feel good about eating, and they feel proud about eating. And that they know that's served by people who are proud to serve them, and that's sourced um, from growers and, uh, and ranchers that they can trust, um, and that
0: uh, you know is, is is also good for their livelihood. Yeah, because it's funny, I, you know, you and I have talked about this before, you know, Kava to me feels like a very sort of urban brand, and I think that's sort of the cool factor of what you guys have going on, and it just feels like something where it works really well in walking traffic, millennial-friendly neighborhoods, Uh but the thing is, is that that's really not the only, I mean, that's obviously not the only neighborhoods you're in, you're in all kinds of neighborhoods across the country, and so does that, does it, having a brand that sort of has that vibe, taking it into the suburbs, like is it resonating? I mean, is that something that can work anywhere?
1: Yeah, most, uh, actually a larger portion of our real estate is in the suburbs versus the cities. And I, that's what we get so excited about is that we appeal, whether it's our, our, our balance of our dining room from a gender perspective, an age perspective, or an ethnicity perspective. Uh, it's, it's awesome to see in the suburbs when you've got families and how much kids love hummus and falafel yeah. and I remember when we opened a store, it was probably about 45 minutes outside D.C., and people were coming up to us, thanking us, saying it's so nice to not have another pizza and burger (laughs) uh, joint, because we all love pizza and burgers, but they have a lot of those options. What they don't have were were options uh, like ours, uh, you know, more adventurous Mediterranean food that could take them on a kind of a culinary experience and then also really satisfy um, their dietary needs. I mean, I forget what the stat is, but a lot of people are in conflict with the way they want to eat and the way they are eating. And that's because it's, it's a challenge, right? Because, you're hungry again at three o'clock or, um, you know, it, you you can't find um, something that fits your dietary restrictions. And that's been the beauty about what we do is that we do that underpinned by our Mediterranean authority.
0: Yeah. And I, you guys, I know, are, are pretty committed to local sourcing and, and really committed to uh, higher quality vendor partners. Um, how do you keep that up as you expand? What is the learning curve there for you guys in building out the supply chain?
1: Yeah, we have an amazing food and beverage team and getting out and building those relationships, whether it's Craig Rogers at Border Springs, uh, one of our lamb shepherds here on the East Coast, or uh, Dave Owen at Timeless Seeds, our Beluga Lentil provider out in Montana. And really, uh, you know, building partnerships like that that we can then uh, communicate to our guests and that they have a real connection to to where uh, the food that, that we're serving is coming from and, and that they appreciate the quality that's been put into
0: it by our partners. So the, over the last few years, when you talk about something like, say, local ingredients, um, you know, that conversation has really evolved, right? I yeah. mean, because for a while it was, well, how close to the restaurant you know, exactly. is this coming from? And um, now I think this is, you know, maybe evolved into more of a holistic, fresh kind of approach. But also, you know, some restaurants have gotten in trouble for saying it's local sourced and it's not locally sourced. Um, so I think that conversation's changed with the customer and maybe their preferences have changed. But I'm wondering if you're seeing that at the restaurant level. Are you hearing from your customers that um, this sourcing piece of it is really important to them?
1: Yeah, I think it really goes back to the quality and, and the stewards of of, of growing those ingredients or or, um, the ranchers and how they're doing it. I think everybody here in D.C. understands in the middle of February right now, you're not growing a lot of produce in in this part of the country, right? So it's appreciating what we're sourcing, how we're sourcing it. And that's what we've always been about, really communicating the story behind the ingredients we're sourcing and the quality behind them. And we're mindful of sourcing locally in the summer when we can get cabbage from the eastern shore we can get kale from just north of baltimore 10 months out of the year and really trying to work with within in those constraints as much as possible Uh, we actually have started looking at um, some different greenhouse production for certain ingredients but it's always been about trying to source the best ingredients for our guests whether that's the kalamata olives from our our friends and the manoli family over in greece that the guys have a you know personal relationship with and and bring that to our guests Um, that's really been how we've, how we've looked at. And I think our, our guests understand that and, um, are really coming to us for that reason.
0: And talking about guest preferences, has there anything, has there been anything you guys have learned from them? Anything that you've heard from customers that you did like evolve the business around? That... They've given us the confidence that they're not afraid to try more adventurous foods
1: Mm. and that they they want the bold flavors that that we serve. I think that's been what's exciting is, and it's not just in the big coastal cities. As as I said, you know, we've gone to Charlotte and Raleigh and um, we're in Richmond. We're in Austin, Texas, going down to San Diego. I think... uh, we, we get requests all the time. Uh, I wish we could go to every city uh, that we get the request for. But this is happening uh, throughout the middle of the country, not just on the coast, that uh, people are seeking these more interesting, bolder foods.
0: Talking about those requests, franchising, was that ever something that, you know, you guys thought about doing and, and why or why not in terms of whether you thought about going that approach? we never
1: say never uh, yeah. but it's really not something that that's in our plan or that we're focusing on we've always been really focused on building the Kava brand and and for me personally stewarding the the origins of what the guys built the first restaurant on and and the passion of that and so we just wanted to continue to grow that as much as we can and yeah. and control it from a, a corporate perspective
0: so recently i was looking at uh, our 2016 4040 list which is you know brands under 40 units mm-hmm. and Kava was on there, and I was struck by this, because <laughs> I'm like, wow, Kava was under 40 units just in 2016? and Because you guys are about 75 locations now, right? We opened our 75th in Chelsea and Manhattan yesterday. Incredible. And and so, you know, that's that's pretty fast growth, and it's really remarkable how quickly you've been able to build this successful brand. And obviously, I want to get into sort of the big splash that you made at the end of 2018 in Aquarian Zoe's, but, um, you know, even even that aside... What was that process from 25, I think you were, when you were on the 40, 40 to 75? How do you get from there to here? Uh, you know, is it, what are the challenges you face in going in that process, and, and how can you keep up this rapid pace of growth? It's great people,
1: and it's building a great team, and I think that's something we did well focusing on early was preparing for our growth ahead of the real accelerated growth. And so we, uh, like I said, I think we were 12 restaurants or I'm sorry we were we were eight restaurants at the end of 2014 and then we went open 12 and then 20 but it was in 2015 that that we raised a significant amount of capital but really built the team and fleshed out the resources we needed and we had really learned about our business and also started to build and set up our supply chain but having a great talented team, whether it's here at Support Center on food and beverage, or our people and culture team, or our operations team in the field and our restaurant leaders, it was putting that in place um, makes all the difference in the world and allowed us to, to scale like we did.
0: So let's get into the news from the fall. And we, yeah. we learned that Kava has acquired Zoe's Kitchen. And hey, I can tell you in the media world, that was like, I mean, that was huge for us because that was just, it just jumps off the page at you that this is a big deal. And this yeah. is a significant um, move in the fast casual world um, and really the restaurant ge- world in general. Because to us, it really meant, you know, changes afoot. And you guys meant business. And and this was really no joke. You guys are, you know, you are out to teach the American customer about Greek and Mediterranean <laughs> food. Yeah. Uh, how did that all come about?
1: yeah, so uh Ron Sheikh brought the opportunity to me um you know thinking about what if we uh were able to put together a group and and then um, acquire the business and apply the capabilities that we had built at kava on a larger scale and really affect our mission at a larger scale and and bring the zoe's uh, brand into the fold and uh you know over the course of a few months and it it came to fruition and uh just excited to have the opportunity to uh to bring what we do to a much larger audience literally coast to coast so it's um it's a tremendous opportunity for our team and we're excited for the for, for it
0: so Ron Sheikh of course the founder of Panera Bread what are the lessons you can pick up from Ron now and and Ron is on the is the chairman of the board is that correct
1: Yes yeah, yeah so
0: Ron obviously now has a say in the Kava business too and I can only imagine how much wisdom you can tap into with that what is that what can you get from him
1: Yeah I joke I call him Professor Sheikh <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: you know he's got a PhD in in the restaurant industry as well as the consumer and so you know to be able to lean on 36 years of experience over 20 as a public CEO is invaluable for me and our team uh, to understand as we embark on, on building a, a national uh, transformational business, um, you know, what it's like and, and what it entails and to have, um, to have that context and that history alongside us is, is invaluable.
0: And what about the Zoe's Kitchen business to you was Mm -hmm. attractive? I mean, what was it that you wanted to leverage in making that acquisition?
1: Well, certainly the shared Mediterranean heritage was attractive to us, and it was another service model for us to express our our Mediterranean origins. Uh, We thought that was really interesting in that uh, we've never viewed ourselves – strictly as a fast casual. We started as a a full-service restaurant uh, founded by one one of our partners being a chef, Chef Dimitri Mochavides, and then evolved into selling our dips and spreads into grocery stores. So we've always viewed ourselves as a culinary brand. And then that expression uh, manifested itself in the customized assembly line fast casual. And now we're able to incorporate a curated cafe model. And so we are able to reach our customers as well as serve our customers um, in a different need state, to, to do a different job for them that may be different than what we're doing in our assembly line, Fast Casual, but still do it with our, our Mediterranean authority. And that got really exciting in how uh, we, we could really amplify what we're doing as a culinary brand in, in a very different way uh, over a tremendous geographic footprint.
0: Yeah. And Zoe's was up to about 300 locations, right, at the time of Uh, acquisition? About 260. 260. So, obviously, a huge reach from Mm -hmm. that brand. Um, But as I understand, you guys are keeping these two brands separate. You're not just immediately flipping a switch and turning all the Zoe's into (laughs) Kava's, which is kind of funny, because I think some of the headlines at the time of the acquisition from some consumer media publications was, Kava now has over 300 locations, but, you know, technicalities is not really true. So... I know that in the media, that mm-hmm. these two brands are separate, but that you, you know, Kava owns Zoe's. A lot of us in the restaurant industry know that. The customer doesn't necessarily know that. Do you plan to educate the customer about this joined heritage now that you guys have created?
1: I think first and foremost, what we want to do is is listen to the Zoe's customer and, and listen to the Zoe's team. I, we've already been doing that, um, myself and our COO, Dan Jones, and, and my partners. We we did a road show back in December and went to seven different cities and organized town halls with the operations teams and really understand the business at, at its at a ground level and, and get out and speak to the guests and understand um, how we can, can get Zoe's kind of back to the roots of of where they came from and why people love them, and uh, and take it from there. I think from a longer term time horizon, we're thinking about how these two brands live together and what's going to be uh, the greatest proposition we can put forward for for the guests at all of our restaurants.
0: Sure. And so yeah. there's no problem with you know my in Chapel Hill where I'm based. You know we have a Zoe's and a Kava now about 100 yards apart from each other. Yeah. Um, and I've told some people it almost feels like Zoe's primed the pump for when Kava opened because it sort of helped be this sort of stepping stone into here's what mediterranean fast casual is all about but that is something that works for you guys having stores closely located next to each other
1: yeah so we think about it even in dc we have our full service restaurants we have five full service restaurants still they're the culinary roots of the brand and we have our fast casual but they're two very different experiences And while there's some common themes and ingredients, we serve harissa both. We have spicy lamb meatballs, but they come in very different ways. You might get spicy lamb meatball sliders at our full service. You might have them on your bowl or in your pita at the fast casual. And so, you're not really making a choice between the two. And we think there's an opportunity to draw a clear distinction between the curated cafe model versus the customized assembly line model, Mm. and that. There's an opportunity with these physical spaces on the cafe side to create much more of a a dwell experience, uh, more akin towards our our full service experience versus the uh, great convenience of the and customization of our assembly line uh, fast casual Cava today. So uh, that's where we think there's a a great opportunity to serve different needs for our guests with the different service models, but at the same time expressing uh, the roots of what we do as a Mediterranean brand.
0: Yeah in post acquisition uh, are there plans to you know take some time to figure out what this joint partnership looks like or are you guys stepping on the pedal even more yeah we're
1: we're we're moving uh like i said we've we've been out in the field meeting with everybody understanding uh we are working on some uh, menu improvements and and just putting our teams in a position on the zoe side to be able to operate successfully and and take care of our guests and and put out great flavorful
0: hot fresh fast food yeah And the Mediterranean category is starting to become a little bit more active. I mean, there's a lot more brands jumping in, especially Mediterranean fast casual. Uh, what's your impression of the space and just Americans embracing this category as a whole? Yeah, I think
1: it's a validation of of the growth and the long term opportunity. As I, I said earlier, not just in big coastal cities, but but in all cities across this country, because it's a cuisine that that really speaks to wellness and speaks to a a way of life and an ability to uh, not have not not have to make compromises. Right. We like to call it uh, healthy, no compromise food, or this idea of effortless wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, You don't have to work to to eat better at at a Cava or uh, at a Zoe's Mm -hmm. uh, through Mediterranean
0: cuisine. And talking about some of these markets that you have already grown into and Um, You know, we were previously talking about sort of the I see it as, you know, you have your tier one, tier two, tier three cities. And I have seen as a lot of the fast casual movement that started really in tier one and tier two is starting to trickle down now into the smaller markets. Um, Is that Kava's direction? Are you aiming for a a more of a diversity of markets to grow into? And and, you know, what do you think that says about today's restaurant industry that more Americans are embracing a much uh, higher quality fast casual experience? I think it's exciting for everyone. I think it's, it's exciting
1: for um, the country as a whole when you think about health issues and obesity issues that uh, everyone has become more sensitive to what they're eating and what they're consuming, and they're, they're willing to make sure, whether it costs a little bit more money, that they're willing to, uh, to allocate more of their, their income towards that. I think when we think about where, where we want to go, if you look at where we are today, whether it's a Boston, New York, LADC, or a Charlotte, Richmond, Raleigh, Austin, uh, we'll continue to do that. You know, uh, we, we, it, it speaks to our dining room that we can go in the suburbs or the city. We can go in a tier one or a tier two because this cuisine is, is really um, in demand in all these markets and, sure. and sought after. So yeah. uh, that's an exciting opportunity
0: for us. You know here we are eight years into the the kava story, and at the time, you know, like I, we were talking about, that was really the emergence of fast casual as a category i mean this was when you had a lot of brands pop up and I, I was reflecting on how I was in DC back in 2015, and you know we're talking about the story of some of these startup brands like Kava and Sweetgreen, and here all of you are expanding across the country and really exciting growth stories. Uh, and but now you know it's 2019, and you know things have changed too, and um, you've also seen a lot more consolidation and certainly acquisitions, and even some brands folding up shop or or closing some shops and just gauging the temperature of the fast casual world. Is it saturated? Or do you think that there's still room for growth and room for more brands? I
1: think it's always historically, and you've seen a lot of the data, restaurants as a whole have been overbuilt. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of choice out there and and consumers are, are discerning and they're smart and they're educated and they're going to go to um, the people that are putting the best value out there for them and are uh, offering the best guest experience and so i don't think it's really different than past history where uh there's opportunity for a lot of businesses and that uh, a lot of people enter the market to to take advantage of that opportunity and that the people who are really putting the the best value out there for the consumer are the ones that that wind up um you know having the success
0: yeah if you were to go back to 2010, 2011, or back when, when you joined the team and helping the guys out with the Kava brand, you know what what would you tell yourself back then that you now know to, to prepare yourself for what has come?
1: Oh, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Sometimes I think if you know too much, you'd be like, oh, we can't do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's impossible. Right. <laughs> right? Don't do yeah. it. <laughs> don't do it. So you have to be a little bit naive, I think, especially in the restaurant industry, because yeah. it certainly takes a village. It, you know, I've got my three partners, and, and uh, you know, we've got an amazing team. So, uh, no, I, I, I'm, I believe everything happens for a reason. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just been having good people alongside to navigate those challenges because you're going to have a challenge no matter who you are, what business
0: you're in. And it's really about how you come together as a team to overcome those challenges. And so, so let's say you and I sit down eight years from now and we revisit this conversation. I say, Brett, what would you tell yourself in 2019? Where do you see this growth going? Where do you think you'll be in eight, 10, 15 years?
1: Well, I think we have all the opportunity in the world. We've got tremendous supporters around the table uh, with, with our board and our investors, as well as great people on our team. And we've got to continue to find great people to help grow us and great people in our restaurants to take care of our guests. And if we do that, there's no reason we can't be uh, you know, the national leading Mediterranean brand that everybody
0: uh, looks to when they want
1: healthy, no compromise food.
0: Yeah. Well before I let you go, Brett, you know, I ask a lot of people this, which is uh, what would you tell a an, an entrepreneur getting into this space today, opening up a restaurant, has a passion for what they're doing? What would you tell them in in terms of encouraging them or giving them advice for what they should should do in this category? Yeah, I think it is a competitive category, no doubt. Restaurants
1: as a whole. Um, Ron, Ron made this comment to me. He's like, R- "Running restaurants is like dirt farming. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's tough, right? It's, yeah. it's a hard business." And so, uh, making sure you, that, that that you're doing your due diligence on it, and setting yourself up for success, and having the right people around you, and taking care of your people, because. You're you're not the one serving food every day. I mean, when we when we our first few restaurants, we were in there serving food every day. They they kind of kick me off the line now because I slow it <laughs> down. But y- you need to take care of the people who are taking care of your guests, and if you're doing that, um, your your customers are going to be happy. It's going to show through in the food. We always say, you know, our culture is going to express itself through the food, and and if our food is. Um, what we intended to be, they're going to feel that that passion, that joy, that excitement, and um, so take care of your people uh, because they're the ones that take care of you. That's why we. That's why we're sitting in what we call support center.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, awesome, Brett. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. All right, that was my conversation with Kava CEO Brett Schulman. Really excited to watch that brand as it continues to grow and just watch as it blazes its trail uh, across America bringing more authentic Mediterranean flavors to more Americans in the uh, fast casual format. That's all we have today for today's episode of Fast Forward. Uh, of course, I would love if you went to uh, subscribe to this podcast on the, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, leave some feedback. We would love to hear your thoughts. Or shoot me an email, sam at qsrmagazine.com to let me know what you think. Uh, or if you have somebody that you know would be perfect for the show, would love to hear that as well. Uh, of course, we'd also love for you to go to qsrmagazine.com to get all the uh, news and insights on the quick service and fast casual restaurant industries that you need. Uh, you can subscribe to the magazine magazine, uh, and also just access, uh, more, uh, information every day, uh, about this industry. Uh, with that, we are going to wrap up this episode and we'll uh, talk to you next time.